a time in my life where I'm just so grateful that I can look back and say this wasn't my idea. <laughs> Most of it wasn't my idea. And I'm glad that there was someone who had an idea of what my life should look like, what I should do with it, how he should be involved in it. Because I don't know if you've ever gotten into the middle of something that you're doing and you just, yeah, like, whose idea was this? I mean, maybe it was shopping on Friday and you get in the middle of, when you're like, what, whose idea was this to come here and to do this? But I don't know, maybe it's just growing up on a farm or some of the stuff you get into with your buddies and siblings and stuff where you just, you, you, you end up in a, in, a, in a place and you think, man, whose idea was this? Because it's usually not going very well in that moment and you're like, man, you want to pin it on somebody. And I just want to encourage us this morning as we look to the word that the life that we're living, the identity that we've been given in Christ, it was his idea. It's all his idea. The church, the Savior, the, the world that we've been given, it was all his idea. It existed in his heart before it was ever manifested in the material realm that we get to see. And so I just want us to take a breath, whatever you're going through in your life, let's focus on being thankful and let's just recognize We've got to find the person who has the way through what we're dealing with, through the, work, the life that we're living now, and recognize. Just take, it takes a big burden off of you when you realize, oh, I'm a part of someone else's grand idea. I'm a part of a plan that precedes my existence here on earth, that goes before time even started, and I'm a part of something that God's going to wrap up and bring good out of, no matter how it looks in the moment, because if you don't have that bigger picture focus, it's really easy to look at what's going on in the world that we live in, it just gets discouraged, confused, into a place of despair, depressed. There's all these things the culture is dealing with, and it's only because, or it's primarily because, all they have to look at is the stuff of this world, and they're trying to find solutions in their own planning, in their own calculations, and their own abilities, and there's no way to navigate through the mess that sin has created on this planet. Let me just say it plainly. It will take divine illumination. It will take divine heavenly wisdom for you to know how to function in this life that you've been given and I've been given as a believer, as a light in a dark place, uh, especially as it becomes more intense in the opposition against the light, against the truth. And so just, not in this moment, but I'm just saying as you process this next week, we can really only take this day at a time, moment by moment, week at a time. Just start practicing that reality of, yeah, I've got decisions to make. Yes, I'm, these things matter because I have free will, and yet it's a bigger plan, it's a bigger picture, and it wasn't my plan. It was not my idea. This was his idea from the beginning. And I'm going to look at a, a couple scriptures this morning before I, uh, I know this one is in 2 Timothy chapter 1, and, and we'll, we'll read through some of this, it's 7 through 12, but um, you know, this was Pastor Vaughn's, one of his most favorite scriptures to preach from. Basically, would use it to eliminate anybody's excuse for not doing something with their life um, because it's clear that it was God's idea for them to do something with their life. But before I read that, I just want to mention, um, for those who know Wendy Gerald, uh, she's just dealing with some really, you know, uh, Pastor Vaughn's widow, she's dealing with some really severe back issues, uh, bone issues in her spine, and she's just really in a, in a place of being debilitated right now, uh, hospitalized, and uh, she just really needs us as we think of her through the week, keep her lifted up in prayer. We know God has to do some of the things that um, will be needed in her spine for her to be um, out of pain and, and be on a road to recovery, so we're just going to keep trusting him the same way that we, uh, we believe it for everybody else around the world. We believe it for those who are part of our family and that are close to us as well, that God has a plan 
He's got a way to bring uh, bone tissue back together where it's been disjointed and deteriorated, and so we just trust him uh, in this. And Wendy, if you're watching, we just want you to know that we're, uh, we're standing with you. And as I told her, uh, you might be, doctors might be saying to lay down on the outside. You've got to be laying in bed on the outside, but on the inside, you can still be standing up. And that's our prayer for her, is that, and for all of us, that whatever we're dealing with, that on the inside, whatever it looks like on the outside, on the inside, there's a man of faith, woman of faith, and she or he is standing up and standing strong. And so 2 Timothy just, I want to just read the first part of this, uh, starting verse 7, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Talk about a culture that's desperately trying to find this, and they can't find it because what they're using to try to find it is actually just contributing and exacerbating the problem of the confusion that they have. It says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, Apostle Paul's writing this, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which has been given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but now it has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles for this reason. I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. There's a lot of pieces of that scripture you can take encouragement from it's not your plan it's his purpose and it's also his grace that empowers you to walk according to his purpose and his plan not according to our works thank goodness he has saved us and called us with a holy calling that was given before the clock was started on the existence of the universe as we know it god lives outside of time he created time. Go ahead and wrestle with that all you want. You're going to have a vague explanation. If you're able to come to something that's even able to be put into words, this walk will require faith from you. You will have to trust by what's been seen, by what's been made, by what you can see, taste, touch, feel, and measure that there is someone outside of that realm that has the ability to speak these things and to bring them into the material reality that he then also placed us into. You're going to have a real hard time trying to explain, and it'll probably include aliens and all kinds of other things if you want to try to, to, to propose some other way that we now exist. Uh, people have been doing it, the, br the brightest minds on the planet since we've had the ability to communicate and really record our thoughts have been doing it, especially in the last century. And all when you read through and you get to the end of all the tangle of what they can put down on paper or make a series out of on TV, you get to the end and you realize yeah, they don't know what they're talking about. They're talking in circles. And it's big words, and it sounds really important, but at the end of the day, even many of them on their deathbeds have had to come to a place because they really are seeking for the answer. They're seeking for truth. They've had to say, yeah, basically everything that I thought was all building my case for how I knew it was the, this is the way that it is. They say, it's not really. Just disregard it if this information shows this to be wrong, and inevitably the next generation finds things that prove that that position was not correct. God is the originator of everything that we see. He's the originator of your life. 
He is the one who authored the faith that was then given to you as a gift for you to be able to believe in him. This is God's plan. This is his purpose. And I just want to encourage you in that this morning. Just let some of that weight come off of you about whatever you're having to deal with because it's his plan. And because it's his plan, he has the way to make it work for the good at the end of it that he's promised to you because you love him. And so I just want to contrast that very briefly with with some of the world's, uh, there's a saying or an idea, a natural wisdom of man, a knowledge that would say, if you want to improve your life, you're going to have to change, change out what you're doing. And there's some wisdom in that, right? I mean, it's natural wisdom. If you, if you want to stop being in debt, then stop spending money that you don't have. Stop borrowing money, right? There's certain, if you want to change your life and change what you're experiencing out of this life, you've got to change what you're doing. But the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't that. The gospel of Jesus Christ is very different. If you want to improve what you're doing, you're going to have to change out your life for his. When your life is changed out, and all of a sudden, I know that's what Overland was teaching, Nikki, was that your life's now hidden in Christ. You are a new creation. All things have become new. The old has passed. The new has come. Any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. He's a new creation, a new creature. This is the gospel message, the message that Jesus Christ, through, through being identified with his death, you can then be raised to life, the life that he now has by the Spirit, we have by the same Spirit that raised him from the dead. This is the reality of what it means to be a, a true born-again believer. We're birthed again of that seed, not the one that went into the waters of baptism. And because of that, we now live forever. We now walk a walk that we didn't have the ability to do. The things that we do, as Jay, was, Jay Williams did such a great job preaching last Sunday, there's things that we now do, ideas and thoughts and appetites that we now have that we didn't have. This hunger for the word that Nikki talked about, that desire, like the more I read, the more I want to read, that hunger is because the Holy Spirit's now alive in you. What once you read and it made no sense, now suddenly is fuel and food for your life. You understand? It, it, it's not that you started doing things better and now you're on this, this slow trajectory to an improved, better you. You're a brand new person, a new you that didn't exist before the old one was willing to lay its life down. I mean, she basically just preached an entire gospel message in five minutes that on your face, it's not my life anymore. Lord, give me the one that you want for me to have. That's what 2 Timothy 1 is talking about and that's what the true gospel of Jesus Christ makes available to everyone who's dare, who dares to believe it. You've got to choose to believe it. He's not going to force it upon you, but sometimes life happens in ways that allows for it to be more, uh, we're more desperate for some help, I suppose. And so we basically, we've agreed with his intentions to save us and to give us an everlasting life through Christ and the calling that comes with that. But I want to, I'm going to move over a few things, and I want to get to the crux of what I want to say today, and it's going to be out of Philippians chapter 4, we're going to go through verses 1 through 9 of, I'm sorry I didn't send that out to the, uh, the media team, if you want to put it up fine, if not, I'll read it slowly, but the reality is we, we have a living Savior, we, we don't have a historical figure that we worship and that we live our lives on behalf of or in memory of or in honor of, we have a living Savior who comes and lives on the inside of us. That's very different from other religions. That's where the strength begins to come from. That's why it's beautiful when we say, oh, did we, we, we introduced someone to Jesus. We're not introducing them to an idea about who Messiah was. We're introducing him to a living spirit, a life-giving spirit, the one that brings life from the dead. That's who we're, we're introducing him to, a living person. 
a resurrected Savior, a spirit that's every bit alive and available to walk alongside you through whatever you're having to walk through. He walks through it with you, but it's because he's alive. Don't let the walk that you, you think is Christianity be just a walk of, let me add some new rules and restrictions and regulations to my life and so maybe some revelations if I'm lucky. No, let it be Christ living in you. Let it be Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let it be the reality of the living, risen Savior coming to regenerate and birth you anew on the inside. That will stick with you. That will cause people to take note. That will cause people to ask you, what is the difference with you? Why do you have hope? Why are you looking up when everyone else is, you know, nose to the ground? It's because of who lives in us. It's because of who bought us at a price of his own life. It's because of a living rebirth that has happened. That's why our faith in Jesus Christ is different maybe than much of what the world. But that's a precious truth. And the enemy would love nothing more than for us to lose sight of that and then to just begin to make it more about performances and works and all the things that he knows will frustrate us and cause us to just let go and walk away from the whole idea of keeping our eyes on Christ. And so it's important that we contend for this, important that we protect this. When you've got something precious, you've got to protect it. If you have something precious that you don't want to lose, you put it in a fireproof safe, you bury it someplace, maybe you put a, a wall around it, a, a high fa electric fence around it, you, you know, in India they make, or many places, but they'll make masonry walls about eight feet high, then they'll put all broken glass bottles and stuff, they'll break them and bed them into the mortar so that nobody can climb over the fences, like, because the security is important when you have something on the other side of that that you want to protect, and God has given us amazing, we can't go through all the scriptures that talk about all things pertaining to life and godliness that he's given to us. But we have to realize if we have that and the enemy sees what we have in the spirit realm, he's coming after it. He's coming to either talk us out of it, trick us out of it, frustrate us with getting us to do it wrong so that we just burn out. These things are his strategies, but we are given the ability to protect what's been given. And this, in Philippians 4, as I read through it this time, I realized... Because I went there for the word, because the word Thanksgiving is in there. Yeah, I'm, some, I'm not an amazing, uh, when, when I want to find a scripture and I want to talk about something for Thanksgiving, I just go to the concordance and I put in Thanksgiving. I start reading through some of the scriptures about Thanksgiving. I don't have them all memorized. But I went there for the, for the, for the subject of Thanksgiving. And as I read this complete passage from verse 1 to verse 9, I realized there's, there's a lot going on in this little piece of scripture. And it's really, it's not a recipe, but... There's some keys here that I want to bring out, and I think it's part, part of the overall picture is that it, these are things that allow us to protect and to guard what it is we've been given in Christ Jesus. And so let's just go to verse 1. It says, therefore, my, this is again, Apostle Paul writing to a church in Philippi. He says, therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. And as we read through this, notice how many commands there are. Paul's kind of like a coach. He's not, he's not, like a, he's not a therapist. He's not there to say, well, how you, you know, tell, me about, tell me about how you're feeling. What's, what's your confusion? He's just there to say, hey, guys, I'm so blessed by you. You're my joy. You're my crown. He went there. I mean, in Philippi was where he was in prison. Remember, the jailer got saved because the gates opened up, and he was about to kill himself. And Paul said, don't do that. We're all still here. There's a whole backstory to this church in Philippi, but this is where Paul was about to be killed, and all of a sudden, a church is born through a miraculous intervention of God through opening the prison doors. The whole community begins to form this strong church, and he's remembering back, and he's thinking, you guys are my joy. When he thinks of that experience, he thinks that's one of the crowning moments of his life, that there was a group of believers that formed around what God did in that little town. 
And so he says, my beloved, my long-for brethren, my joy and my crown, stand fast in the Lord. That's a command. Stand fast. Don't waver. Don't be weak. Verse 2 says, I implore Yodia, Yodia and I implore uh, Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. He's like, he starts to just go through this little list. He's got to get off of his thing before he gets to whatever else he wants to say. It's like, tell these guys, uh, implore them, be of the same mind in the Lord. Again, be united. And I urge you also, uh, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel and with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So he's just giving them some homework. He's like, hey, guys, I'm about to give you some revelation here. But first, make sure you do these things. Stand fast. Be of the same mind. Help these people that helped me. And then in verse 4, he begins to shift it into another realm of, of, of teaching, I believe. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Of everything that's here, that's the thing that he says twice. He's like, rejoice, rejoice. It's like, okay, like you said this morning, we praise the Lord, praise you, Lord, but no, no, praise him. Like, rejoice, celebrate, be full of joy, because it's a choice. Do you know you don't have to rejoice? You can complain. I've asked a few people how Thanksgiving was, and they started complaining. I thought, that's so interesting. The holiday that's devoted to giving thanks. And not that they didn't have reasons. I mean, some people are real, but I just, some of this stuff was, was real, and there's a reason why they were upset about how Thanksgiving went, and some of it was just, should have looked past that and still had to get the day of Thanksgiving, but I don't know, the irony sometimes strikes me funny. <laughs> how was your day of thanks? Oh, terrible. Uh, <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad we share humor at least a little bit. So he says, rejoice in the Lord Always. Always. Memories in jail there, and they're, they're rejoicing at midnight. He's not just saying, this is a good idea. This is something that will throw him for a loop. This is the power that breaks you out of prisons. This is the power that you have the ability to just suddenly rise up above whatever's going on in the news and say, I'm going to praise Jesus. I'm going to be full of joy. I will rejoice and be glad in him. Not in the circumstances of life, but I can rejoice and be glad in him because he's good all the time. He doesn't get confused about what to do. He knows exactly. He's put me here for a purpose. Suddenly, you start rejoicing, and all of a sudden, the stuff you thought you needed therapy for, you suddenly, it's broken off of you. Some of the tools that were given to protect this treasure that's been placed in the earthen vessel of our earth suit, these are keys to help protect it or to, to put a guard. Okay, so we have to, this is part of what we have to do. We rejoice. Then in verse 5, he says another command. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be gentle. It's not a suggestion. And he said, don't just be it, but make sure everybody knows that you're a gentle person, that you're someone that can be approached, that you're someone that can have a conversation with, someone that's not going to retaliate. Verse 6, he says, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. It's a command. He didn't say try not to be anxious. He says, don't be it. People, I have anxiety. Stop. Stop. Rejoice. Nobody wants to hear that it's simple. Your flesh doesn't want to hear it. I never wanted to hear it. You talk to people who overcame it, and you realize what they did was they just stopped being it. The rest of the passage gives us some more clues. Don't worry, it's not just, it's not the only thing that he says. He gives us the equipment. Be anxious for 
nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication. So these are extreme words, right? Nothing and everything. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So he is not saying that you will not have things that you want God or need God to do that you want to request from God. He's not saying that you've got enough already, don't ask him for more. He's saying rejoice with what you've got, be gentle, the Lord is here, don't be anxious or fearful, but in everything with the prayer and the supplication, mix thanksgiving with it, with thanksgiving. Now thanksgiving is interesting because it's, it's the central part of this passage. It's the central part of what his thought is here. Thanksgiving is actually, it, it, it's, it's like we heard this morning, it can be praise, it can be adoration, it can be an expression. But Thanksgiving is interesting because it's one of the things, because Paul will also say, forgetting what's behind, I press forward. Like in other words, we're people of faith, right? We're, we know stuff's back there, but we're pressing forward. We're not going to let stuff drag us down. We're pushing forward. We're going to get to where we got to get to, Right? We are people of faith. We're forward. Faith is the evidence of the things that we don't see, the, the things that we're hoping for, the forward bits. Faith is the, is the tool that connects us to those things. And so because of that, we often think, well, anything back there has just got to be, no, but Thanksgiving actually is an interesting exception because it says, consider what's already been given so that you can be thankful. You can't be thankful for stuff without looking over your shoulder and being like, okay, he has been faithful. He has done this. He has done this. Look at past events. It draws you backwards, but not to be stuck in whatever injuries are back there and old wounds, but to be able to be thankful for the fact that he's brought you through those things already to the point that you are. I guess testimony would be another kind of a thing. Like we're forward faith-filled people, but he also says that we overcome him by the blood that Jesus shed and by the word of our testimony, which is our word of how we're connected to what Jesus did. So there is times to look back for those moments and those events that God did that only he could do. But we live a life forward of faith because of our confidence, knowing that when we look back, we see a track record of his faithfulness in our life. And so Thanksgiving is, is, is in this place. Another thing Thanksgiving does for us is it allows us to acknowledge that we've received help. A lot of people don't want help. A lot of people want too much help. Other people want no help. But for those who don't want any help, it's hard for them to admit, ah, oh, thanks. They, they, don't, they, don't, they don't like that. They want to be self-sustaining, self-sufficient. We, we're taught to be this way. We're taught to be like a self-made individual. And if we can point back and, it, oh, it a, oh, someone helped you, then it's like sort of, ah, oh, well, yeah, they did it, but they were helped by this person. Help is just grace. Merit and favor is, is what great, cherish is grace. And so God gives help to us through Jesus Christ and our response to that, according to what he needs from us, is not anything more than just thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I had an amazing conversation with someone who really went through a dark patch, and they were, they were just struggling with the reality of, is God real? Is this, does this even, is it just all too many moving parts to really analyze and say this is genuine or it's not? And they were just getting frustrated with church and faith and a whole bunch of stuff. And th there were some things, and they came to a point where some things had happened, and they realized, I... This is beyond what's calculable. I can either say, wow, I was lucky, 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 like so, 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 so lucky for this to work out this way. Or they could say, wow, you know, the stars must have aligned just perfectly, or it's just, oh, it was just chance. It was, it was, it was some, or they could say, thank you, Jesus. 
And this is, and it was a moment, they felt this tension inside, and as soon as they said, thank you, Jesus, he revealed himself to them. It's powerful. Sometimes it's got to be, we think it's got to be like, you know, books and, you know, we got to go to retreats and conferences and try to, sometimes it's just that simple of, he didn't recite some Apostles' Creed or, he said, thank you, Jesus, because it, 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 there was that real pressure, that, that real tension of, the enemy doesn't want you to acknowledge that you received grace. He could have easily justified it and say, well, yeah, it was a one in a million chance, but it still could have happened. It still could have been just a chance. Could have just been coincidence, right? But in that moment, there was something in them that knew they needed to say, and they did. It's, it's similar to what some of what Jay had to wrestle with, as we heard from him last week. It's, it's very emotional when you realize, man, you, you really want to know if it's real. But sometimes you're, 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 you're cracking the door, your access or entrance into the spiritual reality is an attitude of heart. Because the Bible's clear. He says he resists the proud, but he will extend help or grace to the humble. If you're like, man, I really can't figure this out, you've got a better chance of having him expose himself and reveal himself to you than you do just coming in and saying, oh, I've got it all figured out, and, you know, I've got this, 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 and this, and I know. And that's just, this world's trying to intellectually analyze and, and, and contemplate and calculate their way of meaning and reality and what is it founded on and how did it come to be. And they're using a brain, a, a bunch of gray mush up there. And you can find a lot of it out that way, but you can't get, he, he, there's certain parts of it that are veiled until you come through in humility by faith. And you begin to realize, wow, thank you, Jesus. I did need that help. I did need to see it the way that I could have only seen it now that you showed it to me. And so I just want to encourage you with that. So this is the middle part. We'll keep going. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So, so far, <clears throat> this passage is all about stuff that we need to do. These are commands that, he's, that Apostle Paul, led by the Spirit, is telling them, you've got to do these things, guys. Be thankful, make petitions, your requests. And then in verse 7, something changes. And this is the first part in this, in this passage where we're going to discover heaven's response to these simple behaviors. Rejoicing always. Be gentle. Be humble. Don't be anxious. Don't be fearful. Pray. Intercede. Be, you know, thank, with thanksgiving. Make petitions, requests. And then in verse 7, it's heaven's response. And it says this. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. When we choose to align with this, what's called an attitude of gratitude, you've heard some of the cliches about a thankful person, a grateful person is a generous person, they're a kind person, they're a loving person, they're, they'll share. Thanksgiving and having a, grati a spirit of gratitude in you is one of the most magnetic realities that can draw the world to have an open ear to what you have to say. A complaining person we can look back through the Old Testament and we can literally divide the people of God, the children of Israel, into two different seasons. The seasons when they were being thankful and the seasons when they were being complaining. And when they complained against God, it never went well. And when they came to repentance and humility and they began to praise him and worship and sacrifice to him again, all of a sudden everything that was broken began to be restored in the nation. 
an attitude of humility, of gratitude, of thankfulness, of acknowledging that, yeah, I needed help. Sometimes it's a spouse that needs to hear, thank you, because you, they helped you. You couldn't have gotten. We have 10 children. We wouldn't have 10 children if it wasn't for my other half, my better half, as many would say. This life is a team effort. You've got to be connected. You've got to be a part. And in that connection, there's thanks that needs to be given. There's acknowledgement that, yes, I needed the help that that person offered. I needed the help that Jesus offered. Because when the peace of God decides to move in and guard your heart and mind, guess what? Your heart and mind will be safe. If the peace of God, which passes all understanding, in other words, you're not going to know how or why or what you did to have him there, but when the peace that passes understanding, all understanding, is guarding your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus, your heart and your mind are going to be safe. No one's breaking through that barricade. No one's coming through that to get access to you if you maintain the components that allow him to stand guard there. Now, if you choose to start complaining, if you choose to get into negativity and criticism and begin to get out of unity and you you lose the same mind and you stop doing the things that we're told to them to do, then yeah, the peace will lift. It will happen. He's not going to be there in a place where he's not wanted. But when there's acknowledgement that, yes, that peace, thank you for the peace, thank you that it's guarding me now. And then in verse 8, let's continue on because it gets even better. It says in verse 8, finally, brethren... Whatever things are true, now there's a list. And a lot of times as Christians, like, oh, yeah, I memorized that in Sunday school. And you, write, you just write it off as, oh, that's that list in Philippians about thinking about good stuff. But listen to the details of what he's telling them to think about. Words were hard to record and to write down. It, it was not easy. And he could have been concise more so than this if he thought he could. But he needed to say these things. He says, brethren, whatever things are true, before you pass on information, be a person who validates and makes sure that it's true. There's a lot of garbage that goes around because people don't spend the time to actually find out, is that true? Did the person really say that? Is that how they said it? Is that what they meant when they said it? There's so many. Become a person that's willing to dig for the details before you just share the information as if it's true. There's a lot. That one part of what we're about to read, is, there's a reason I believe why it's first. If it's not true, just, just don't, even, don't even pay attention. Just skip over it. Then he says, whatever things are noble, whatever things are in, that inspire you up and not down, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Sadly, the world that we live in has the tools now to put in front of our faces, anytime we choose to look or to click on it, negative, negative, broken, negative, garbage, pain, suffering, hopelessness, garbage, 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 bad, all bad reports. All bad reports. I'd say 99 or maybe more percent of what you can find if you, within the first few minutes of just clicking on what's there. Now, if you dig and do a search of your own, yes, you can find. But it's not usually the stuff that's going to pop up that you have instant access to just off of a notification on one of your apps. 
Why is it so important to think about stuff with a good report? Should we know what the bad reports are? Yeah, we probably should be aware. But if that's all we're aware of, what are we going to meditate about? Not the things that are good. He's saying the stuff that's lovely and true, all that stuff. He doesn't say just know about it. He says meditate on it. You realize you can, you can choose at any moment what you're thinking. That's why Apostle Paul, same guy, says take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Yeah. Don't think thoughts that shouldn't be in your mind thinking. Just stop them. Think about something else. Stop thinking about what's making you feel anxious. Start thinking about what makes you feel secure. Start thinking about someone that you know loves you. Start thinking about someone that you know you love and begin to help them out, begin to serve them, begin to assist them, begin to go and make life about more than how you feel in a moment. And suddenly you'll realize, I'm thinking about how much good can I do for this person? How much more can I help? How much more can I, can I serve and I bless? And I think, and I, how much more can I speak positively? And be encouraging to my friends. To my, hey, you can apply this no matter what age you are. You don't have to be an adult to do this. Your friends at school, they're going to have all kinds of negativity. Can you believe this? Can you believe that? One thing I have a hard time believing is how good Jesus has been to me. Spin it right around like that. Whoa, all of a sudden, what is it? It's like out of left. It's like, boom, you just shot a, you turned on a light. Because the dark things live in bad reports and in bad information. They, they live there. They're fueled by that. That's why the word of God is what we stand upon because it's life. It's light. It's health to all the flesh of those who find the truths of scripture. But he says to meditate on these things. And I know I said it got better. So here's verse nine. Here's the better. The things which you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. He lived a life before them that allowed them to, if they had any questions, he said, just do what I did. Do follow my model of life. It's pursuing the God that had saved him. But here's the, the part that just is amazing. The, the second part of verse 9 says this. So do all these things that we've, we've read, and the God of peace will be with you. So it could, it could be in translation, but I like it. So I'm going to, for me, this is what it is. In verse 7, it says, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds, right? In Christ Jesus. And then in verse 9, he says, you do these things, you follow through on your part, and the God of peace will be with you. Not just the peace of God like, a, like an attribute of his, but the God who is peace will be with you in whatever it is that you're walking in, walking through. I don't know, they, it's been said many different ways, but the safest place to be in any situation where things are off is to be with someone who's stronger than you are. Don't ever be the strongest person if you can help it. And you're going to go through a rough patch, don't invite someone along that's weaker than you, invite someone along who's stronger than you. If you're going to go through a rough part, bring someone stronger. Who thinks that the God of peace is stronger than the confusion that's just got the minds of this generation so tangled they can't even formulate their own feelings into words? The spirit of confusion has not been given to us, as we read in 2 Timothy, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That's our portion that's who Jesus is in us. And when he lives in us and with us and through us and he walks as the God of peace alongside of us, we're going to have peace even if the boat is a little rocky. We're going to get to the other side. 
I'll conclude with this. Again, it's just a little, it's not doctrine, okay? So all, all you doctrine scholars, I, I, you can go back and, and dig, dig through better, but I read it and it spoke to me. And it's, it's, help, it's been helpful to me. There's a moment when Moses had the nerve to ask God, remember the burning bush? He asked him what his name was. And I didn't write this, so I'm just going to read it as it was written. That way I can just blame somebody else for those who are going to have a problem with this. And maybe you won't. I don't know. And God was gracious, gracious enough to answer Moses, and he, 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 he said his name. And if you can dig far enough back, the oldest text that we have um, I've heard a few British, um, British, uh, Jewish, Jewish, British. <laughs> Sorry, Nikki. I was just, uh, I'll say it again. Jewish scholars um, who I, I've listened to their commentary on this passage because the old Hebrew, you know, we, we know it in our King James Version as I am that I am or I am who I am or I am and that's why I am. I'm, you know, we, we have English words, but it's undisputable that the original way it was written down was just Y-H-W-H with no, no vowels inside. It was just those four letters. That's what uh, in, the, in, the, in the text was recorded. And from there, you know, who doesn't want to know the name of the guy that made everything, the God that created all of existence? And so we always want to try to pin a name on something, right? It's the first thing we try to do when a child's born. There's no peace in the house until you pick a name. I guess I've had more experience maybe than some of, some of you, but... Uh, there's something about that moment when you're like, that's the name. And um, it's in us to want to do that. But, and so let me just read now. Over time, we've arbitrarily added an A and an E between the, the YH, right? If we, if we know that we arrived at Yahweh. We add an A and an E to get to Yahweh, presumably because we have a preference for those vowels. Those were not in the original writing. That's just what... Someone put it in. But scholars and rabbis have noted that the letters uh, YHWH in the Hebrew pronunciation represent breathing sounds or aspirated consonants. <coughs> uh, breathing sounds or aspirated consonants. There are certain letters in the, in the Jewish. I can't do all this. I'm not um, Jewish in that way. Uh, they're, they're very airy. They're not, they're not like we would say. Like a, it's not like a t or a s. It's... And so, but scholars, rabbis have noted that they, they represent breathing sounds or aspirated consonants. And when they're pronounced without intervening vowels, it actually sounds like breathing. YH would be an inhale, WH, exhale. And so a baby's first cry, his first breath, speaks the name of God. A deep sigh calls his name. Or a groan or a gasp that is too heavy for mere words. Even an atheist would speak his name unaware that their very breath is giving constant acknowledgement to God. Likewise, a person leaves this earth with their last breath when God's name is no longer filling their lungs. So when I can't utter anything else, is my cry still calling out his name? Being alive means I speak his name constantly. So it's hard. So, so is it heard the loudest when I'm the quietest? In sadness, we breathe heavy sighs. In joy, our lungs feel almost like they will burst. In fear, we hold our breath and have to be told to breathe slowly to help us calm down. When we're about to do something hard, we take a deep breath to find our courage. 
When I think about it, breathing is giving him praise, even in the hardest moments. This is so beautiful and fills me with emotion every time I grasp the thought that God chose to give himself a name that we can't help but speak every moment we're alive. All of us always everywhere, waking, sleeping, breathing with the name of God in our, on our lips. I don't know, I thought that was cool. And I, you know, I do have a lot of scriptures that you could say go with that. You know, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And, um, you know, he breathes into Adam the breath of life and he becomes a living soul. The words that we speak, it's said that the power of life and death is in the words. Why? Because they're formed with the same air that God breathed into us. The same breath that spoke the words that created the universe. I just want to encourage you. As I read this, I just realized he's always been so much closer to me than I realized. Or that I had the revelation of. And maybe that's something that you struggle with. I don't know. I'm trying to think. I usually try to think of what, what group of people might I be speaking to this morning. Maybe it's this group. It's, you just feel like, I think he's there. I hope he's there. I want him to be there. I believe he's there. But you don't know that he's there. You don't close your eyes on the pillow and just sense that he's right there. That he's actually, if you're born again and filled with the spirit, that he's in you. And maybe as our sister Nikki was talking about, maybe it was just bad theology. Maybe it was just a way of understanding Christianity and faith in Christ that allowed you to think, well, I've just got to get it right and I've just got to stop making mistakes and I've just got to, I've just got to, I've just got to, I've just got to, I've just got to. And it was never an actual walk of faith where you realize, oh, he's got this. And he's inviting me to receive what he purchased at his expense called unmerited favor, called grace. The Bible says it's through that grace that I'm saved when I begin to believe in that grace. When I confess that he's Lord, when I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, then all of a sudden I can see and sense and know that he's near to me. I don't need someone else to remind me or to tell me or I don't have to hear a song. I don't have to read even a scripture. But I can walk this life realizing he's, my lungs are full of a breath that started with Adam and Eve or started with Adam and has still been passed on through humans which is why our species is unique we're not just an animal species folks as the world would love us to believe it's the greatest greatest lie of naturalistic humanistic evolution was that we're just an apex species that we really don't have any different air in our lungs than a dog or a goat or a sheep or a lion or anything else, that we're just another set of DNA recipes strung together in a different way. And yet God says, you're mine. I knew you by name before time started. I had a plan. I had a purpose for you. I want to be close to you. I want to be the God of peace in whatever it is that you're walking through in this moment. Let's stand together this morning. Father, we just desire to know that whatever's been made available to us through what you've accomplished, we want to know that we're not missing any of it, that we're not glossing over any of it, that we're not just skipping over the magnitude of what's been revealed through Jesus Christ. That your word says that you saved us and you called us and then you made it manifest to us through the revelation of Jesus Christ when he showed up. And so, Lord, this morning, we just want to acknowledge that it was you. It was your kindness that led us to a place of repentance. It was your grace 
that you decided in your own free will to extend towards humans. It's that grace, Lord, this morning that we say yes to and that we give you thanks for because we know it's that very same grace, that very same aid, that favor, that help that empowers us to walk the steps of this life as we walk towards hard times, as we walk towards the difficulties, as we don't shrink back to destruction, but we press forward and we lean into you, Jesus, knowing that you are the one who holds the keys. You are the one who has the words of everlasting life. Lord, I pray that as we meditate this week, that you would train us, that you by the Spirit would guard our hearts and our minds, and so there would be an instant awareness when our thoughts are beginning to get off and meditating on the wrong things that are not of good report. But Lord, that we would focus and and bring it all back to a place where we're just so impressed with your act of grace toward us that everything else just seems to pale in comparison. Lord, we thank you for the great salvation that you've made available to us, and we just... And I just pray this morning for those who would hear my voice that there would be a moment they would choose to make with you where they would lay their life down and say, God, I want to see the one that you've got planned for me. I want to hear that calling that you say you've made towards me. The purpose that you have to work out through this life. Lord, I know that It's easy to just get distracted and confused with all the turbulence in this world. But Lord, there's a quiet, still place where your peace reigns supreme. When not just your peace, but you yourself stand with us. And you bring a quiet confidence to the inside of us that no drug, no world system, no philosophy, no therapy can ever bring us to. It's just being with the one who breathed life into our lungs. And Lord, when we're in that place, there is a perfect peace that this world cannot access that does pass understanding. But Lord, that's your promise to us that we will enter that place of rest. Lord, for the weary souls, for those who are struggling with just sleeplessness and anxiety, we just know that one breath from your mouth quiets it all. Help us to be thankful, Lord. Help us to rejoice. Help us to remember that these are things we can do regardless of what it feels like. Father, we thank you for this day. I pray that as we go out of this place that you'd show us opportunity, that you'd remind us there's a purpose and a reason why we're still here. You prepare us, Lord, for that day when you will return to collect your bride, your church. In Jesus' name, we give you thanks and praise. Amen and amen.